Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, there's nothing more fun than following or covering an NFL team that is in contention in December. Well, I guess it would be more fun to follow a team that's in contention in January, but first you have to deliver in December to get to January, and that's where the 49ers are right now. They're 7-6. and six. They've got four regular season games left to play. And at least two of those games are very, very, very winnable. One of those is coming up on Sunday against the Atlanta Falcons, who might be six and seven, but uh, they're they're not a great six and seven. They've only won one score games. They've gotten blown out by a lot of good teams. And then the 49ers after that, after they play the Titans, play the Texans, who aren't any good. But first things first, Falcons Sunday, that's part of a stretch that features, what, two games in like four or five days because they have to fly to Tennessee and play the Titans right after that. It it might be easy on paper, but it's certainly not easy in practice. The 49ers have to figure out a way to get a few more wins to get into the playoffs, starting with Atlanta on Sunday, Matt. Yeah, and this is the one they should win, frankly. You mentioned their record, 6-7. and You look at the stats and everything that they've accomplished this year, and you wonder how they won six games. That's just one game fewer than the 49ers have won, And, and the answer is that they've beaten some bad teams. The wins have come against the Giants, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Saints, the Jaguars, and the Panthers, none of which have winning records. I guess you could say that the the Saints at 6-7 and seven are probably the best team. And I think that, you know, what stands out is that they just don't have any wide receivers. And everybody remembers the game two years ago, also a, a Week 15 game, also one that the 49ers were expected to win. The Falcons came in and they stole away with a win. That was the uh, Julio Jones game, 134 yards and, and two touchdowns by Julio Jones. I'm looking at this Falcons roster and I just don't know who delivers that kind of game for them this year. Calvin Ridley has been away from the team since uh, October, I think. And uh, Cordero Patterson is a really nice player, um, but I, I just don't think uh, he's sort of one-man band enough, Dennis, to, to lift this team. So, I mean, for the Falcons to win, I, I think some fluky things would have to happen, and fluky things have happened to the 49ers this, this season. Kick return touchdown, uh, you know, mistake-prone uh, games, things like that. But if the 49ers... Uh, just kind of hold serves and have a steady game, they ought to win this one. <laughs> Easy, guys. Now, we're talking about the San Francisco 49ers. Just the inconsistency. Games like this scare me because you come in games like this and everybody's saying you're supposed to win this football game. It's not a very good football team. The Colts weren't a good football team when they came to town. Uh, Seattle wasn't a very good football team. Uh, and then the 49ers figure out a way to kind of kind of lose football games. So, you know, you, you, 
we, we're talking about playoffs, but we got to talk about the next game that's ahead of this team, and it's and it's the Atlantic Falcons. And you know they haven't they haven't played well. They've beat some bad teams, but sometimes the 49ers can show up and look pretty bad, especially at home. So it, it's going to be a challenge, I think. I think uh, I think this team uh, needs to understand the situation they're in. Uh, and you know they they can get into the playoffs, but you got to win these football games that you're supposed to win. And this is a game that they're supposed to win, but they have to come out. They have to play a whole lot better on all three stages. Uh, they got to play better defense, offense, especially on special teams. Matthew Ryan is still the quarterback here, and I remember Colt, Colt McCoy came in here and he was a Pro Bowler. He looked like a, a Hall of That's Famer true. against the 49ers. So, you know, just I mean, we we. We look at this team. I just, I, I, I'm just curious to see, you know, the 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 mindset of this team. Are are, are they? Do they understand the situation they're in? Are they going to come in and play with some urgency uh, in front of the home crowd? So we're going to wait and see. I, I think that, you know, that first series or even that first half, you're going to see what team shows up on Sunday. Here are the bottom four teams in the NFL in the DVOA, which has proven to be generally predictive of what the 49ers get from their opponents this season. Number 29 is Jacksonville. Number 30 is Houston. Number 31 is Detroit. And number 32, dead last, are the Falcons. So the 49ers, you know, by the end of the season, will have the benefit of having gotten to play the bottom four teams in efficiency in the league. We already know what they did to Jacksonville. We'll find out what they can do to Houston three games from now. We already know what they did to Detroit. And obviously Atlanta is waiting here. We talk about like the stinkers early in the season. Indianapolis is now a top 10 team. So, I mean, they, they kind of use that game against the 49ers as their, their coming out party, right? And Seattle's number 17. So as bad as we thought Seattle was, like this is going to be – I mean, the numbers say that this is going to be like, like the Jacksonville game or the Detroit game. And it's up to the 49ers now to, to make that happen. And make sure that what Dennis said doesn't happen—the the Colt McCoy game, right? Because you can't convince me that that Arizona team with Colt McCoy was something special, but the 49ers made them look like something special. So it's about the 49ers dictating this right from play one. And you know, we talk about the Falcons; all their losses, of, uh, all their wins, all their wins have come by one score, right? All their wins have come by one score or less. But their losses—you look at the, you know the better teams they played and their blowouts Philadelphia in week one, the Falcons lost 32 to six. And obviously the Eagles have proven to be at least competent this year. They've lost twice to Tampa Bay, both times by multiple scores. Uh, They have a close loss against Washington, 34 to 30. So we'll credit them for that. But then they have a 43 to three loss against Dallas and a 25, nothing blanking against the Patriots. That was on Thursday night football. And I mean, the Falcons just looked terrible in that game. So Here's my stance on this. If the 49ers are truly a playoff contender, they need to win this game handily. I don't think they deserve to be in the playoffs if they just squeak by or if they lose this game. They might still end up there, but you know we've spent this whole season trying to figure out what this 49ers team is all about. Well, I think this game is a measuring stick, not because the Falcons are great, but because good teams have beaten the Falcons up bad this year. And the 49ers need to do that too. This is not like we're in week seven, right? Where, you know, the 49ers can be accidentally sleepwalking and maybe the Falcons get them. No, we're now in week 15. The playoffs are on the line. The 49ers are at home. 
They're going to be relatively healthy. So if they don't go out there and win this game by more than a possession, that's a serious red flag to me, Matt. Let's uh, look at where they could be tripped up, where their where their weakness is. Remember that 2019 game? I, I just talked about Julio Jones's stats. Uh, that was a game in which uh, there was no Jaquaski Tart, no Richard Sherman, no K1 Williams. I don't think D Ford played in that game. Um, and, you know, Ryan knew it, um, and, and he, he targeted uh, Julio Jones. Uh, I looked it up earlier. He targeted him 20 times in that game. Uh, you know, George Kittle was just coming off a, a game, a monster game, in which he was targeted 15 times. That was a that was a big target game. Julio Jones had five more than him in that game. Uh, so you, you look at this team, and, you know, Dennis, the, the cornerback situation actually is even worse than it was going into to Cincinnati. Um, on Wednesday, uh, Dante Johnson, uh, who had to go back to New Jersey to tend to his mother, who, who passed away on Sunday, he's still out there. He hasn't rejoined the team yet. Um, obviously, there's no Emmanuel Mosley. He's still dealing with the uh, high ankle sprain. Ambry Thomas is in the concussion protocol. So the only healthy outside cornerbacks they had were Josh Norman and D'Amador Lenore. So they're they're nicked up at cornerback still. Like I said earlier, the difference is there's no Julio Jones on that Falcons roster anymore. Kyle Pitts is is really good. He's a tight end. Um, he could he could definitely damage a team. Uh, but uh, you know you look at that group of wideouts there. Uh, Russell Gage, Tajay Sharp, uh, Olamide Zacchaeus, um, not household names by any stretch. Uh, none of these guys are, are guys that you think could really, really damage you. So, um, you know, it, it would be weakness against weakness if, if the 49ers go into that game without Thomas. And, and we should note that Thomas did uh, practice a little bit. He was in a blue jersey on, on Wednesday. Uh, so his um, uh, he's on course, I think, to play, and they could get Dante Johnson back too, which would be a big boost for this team. But that would be the one area I'd be concerned about if I was the I was the Forty ers Yeah, and that's been the one area the entire football season that's been a big question mark or concern is that secondary. And Diamador, I think you know we watched him play last week, and um, you know it, it's. You know, those young cornerbacks, they're going to have to get an opportunity to, to get in football games and kind of, you know, kind of the growing pains and, and take the bumps. That's how you're going to learn, you know, and, and it, it's good to see both of them play last week a little bit. But, you know, that's how you learn to play in the NFL. I mean, you, you, you get out there and you learn from your mistakes and that's how you get better at your position. But this week is going to be, again, that 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 pass rush that that front four uh, i think this is a game that you know eric armstead needs to kind of come out and, and have a big football game we know what nick bosa is going to bring and we see what dj jones is doing he's becoming a really good defensive lineman and he's learning some pass rush skills but on that other end we got to figure out who's going to be that other constant bookend that that pressure on the other end to get home because matthew ryan he's going to throw you some picks I mean, he's he, he's a wily vet. He's going to look at this secondary and think he can kind of pick him apart. And you got to get him off his mark a little bit. You got to get him get him on the ground, get some hits on him, and get a lot of pressure so he can't sit back there and get into any type of rhythm. Because any type of rhythm against the secondary 
in the zone that they play, it's it's easy to pick apart uh, the defense. So it's going to be you know up to this 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 uh, pass rush, the starting four linebackers, uh, defensive linemen to kind of get after it. And I think it's going to be a good game, a big game for. Eric Armstead. Yeah, Eric Armstead has really, I think, benefited from the move inside because he gets to work against guards essentially exclusively now for the 49ers. And what a pairing he's been with DJ Jones. And I think just in general, that's something that's really coming along for the 49ers. This this team has evolved, guys, over the course of the year. And I think we got to see a lot of the fruits of that labor against Cincinnati. Now we'll see if they could keep it up. But one of the main points of evolution that I think has been absolutely mandatory for the 49ers to stay in contention is the interior defensive line. I mean, obviously they lost to Forrest Buckner when they traded him away after 2019, but they thought they were going to get some replacement level value from Javon Kinlaw. Obviously with Kinlaw, you know, partially tearing his ACL and having to have that ACL surgery this year, uh, they don't have that. And there was a, there was a hole in there early this season. We were talking about Zach Kerr getting washed out on running plays. Maurice Hurst obviously has hardly played because of injury issues of his own. Uh, Contavious Street wasn't doing all too well early in the season. It, it was it was rough there in the middle. But look what Chris Kacarek has been able to do. A, he's turned DJ Jones into a fantastic A-list player. I think DJ Jones is going to get a lot of money when he enters free agency this offseason. We'll see if the 49ers are able to keep him. But, I mean, he's healthy for the first time really in December. And now it's his turn to get the – pick on some beaten up offensive linemen late in the year and and boy is that pretty for the 49ers and DJ's playing next to Eric Armstead who's now getting the focus on the inside and that pairing you know I really like that pairing on base downs and then on other downs when the 49ers are really trying to mix and match and and, you know find their way inside you got to tip your cap to the job that Kasurik has done with Arden Key I mean, the 49ers' best pass rush of this game against Cincinnati had Arden Key working against left guard. And I posted this one up on, on Twitter. I mean, it, it was the NASCAR package, right? You had Bosa on the outside. You had Key on the inside. You had Eric Armstead on the inside. And you had Sanson Ebicom on the opposite edge of Bosa. That's four technical defensive ends, right? I guess Armstead's now tackle. But still, four defensive end types in in the game for the 49ers and the athleticism of that pass rush just overwhelmed the Cincinnati line and got to Joe Burrow and guess what this is not a very good Atlanta offensive line so now this is three straight weeks Matt that the 49ers are facing a subpar offensive line and the last two weeks have really allowed that D line to get cooking and I think they're picking up confidence I mean even Contavious Street uh, laid out Joe Burrow last week, and that led to the Jimmy Ward interception. It was nullified by the Ambry Thomas penalty, but still, uh, the 49ers are getting work done from DJ Jones, from Eric Armstead, from Arden Key, uh, from Contavious Street. All those guys are doing stuff inside. Hell, even Kevin Givens has made some plays, and obviously Nick Bosa is in the running for Defensive Player of the Year with 14 sacks. I don't want to say this is the 2019 line, but they're a lot better than the early season 2021 line, and I think that's a big, big deal of improvement. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, some of those guys you just mentioned, I mean, there was no Kevin Givens early in the season, and, and, and Treat was getting pushed around pretty well. Those guys have gotten better as the as the year gone, year's gone on. I don't think you want to depend on either of those two a uh, long time. You, you want them to kind of be peppered in, and that's what they're doing now. And it's been effective. But I, I agree with you with, with Arden Key. He's one of several um, uh, soon-to-be free agents uh, coming up in March. I, I think he's a guy that you bring back um, for that very reason because he is 
providing some nice push uh, in obvious passing situations from the interior. Um, you know, I think it's that that edge, the other edge, that's the real question mark. And I'm going to put this back to you, David, real quick, because there was some news on Wednesday involving D. Ford. Uh, the 49ers had until Wednesday to take him off of IR to activate him so that he could play the rest of the season. That's not happening. So they didn't do that, which means he's shelved for the rest of the year. Uh, I don't even think he's going to be around in Santa Clara. It doesn't sound like it. Uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of fans, a lot of readers uh, on Twitter saying, oh, just, just cut him right now. Wash your hands of the guy. But if you could explain to us sort of the salary cap situation of why that's not going to happen. Well, yeah, it's uh, it would cost the 49ers – uh, I don't know what happens if you violate the salary cap. I don't know if they strip draft picks or or what, but uh, it, basically the 49ers, it's impossible for them to cut D Ford right now because uh, a lot of money that's either been paid out to him or still guaranteed to him in the future, thanks to the deal that they signed in 2019, hasn't hit the salary cap yet. And if you cut D Ford right now, by rule, all of that money that has yet to hit the salary cap that's scheduled to hit it in 2022 and even 2023 right now, all of it would accelerate and hit the cap right now, where the 49ers only have $2.5 million in room. If they cut D Ford right now, like as I speak, it would cost the 49ers $20.2 million. Wow. And they only have $2.5 million of room. So however many penalties or draft picks they'd be stripped of for, for doing that, I, I, don't know, I don't know what the consequences would be, but they just can't do it. It's period. You know, So they have to wait until the new league year starts. And then next year, it gets a little bit more complicated. It's still a decision for the 49ers. Uh, it, starting the new league year, whenever it is, like March 15th or whatever, the 49ers cut D Ford then, assuming he's still hurt because he has an injury guarantee next year. It cost them $14.4 million, but uh, it would only be about $2.5 million or $2.7 million more expensive than, than keeping him. However, by the time next year comes, they can put a post-June 1st designation on the release, which means they could save some of the like offset some of the the expenses to 2023 and thereby save some 2022 money. So ultimately, if the 49ers want to, once they get to March, they can save about $2.4 million by cutting D Ford. Now, maybe he'll be healthy by March and they won't want to cut him. I don't think it's likely. Kyle Shanahan seems sick of the whole situation. I mean, he didn't even know where D Ford was today. He goes, he's not staying here because he's done. I think he's going to Kansas City. But we'll address it after the season. I mean, you could just tell that Shanahan is so done with this, like he was done with Jalen Hurd. But his hands he's handcuffed to D Ford right now because of the contract that obviously Shanahan and Lynch are responsible for from that. They gave D Ford after two back surgeries an eleven point six million dollar injury guarantee in year three of his contract. So that's the mistake the 49ers made, and they're still living with it right now. It makes you think that, you know, Kansas City must have saw the writing on the wall or or saw the medical reports. Uh, and, and they knew that there wasn't left uh, for D Ford in the NFL, and it, it surely seems like it now. But it also makes me wonder, you know, that the 49ers think it, it was worth the risk. Was 2019 what they wanted out of D Ford early in the season? Is that what they were looking for? Because it sounds like his contract. I mean, it, it's not. It's not. It's not 49er friendly. It's it's player friendly, and I'm not mad at him for that. It's just. 
you know, how, how do you get a contract like that when you're coming in to an organization and you're already kind of injury prone and then you sign a contract like that? He played a lot of snaps for Kansas City in, in 2018. Um, well over a thousand. I forget what the number is, but it was a huge, huge number. And I'm, I'm sure that reassured the 49ers. Like, oh, if a guy can play that many snaps, he's got to be fine. What it ended up doing, though, was was wearing him out because the next year uh, he had some good games, but then he had the knee injury. And, uh, you know, by the end of the season, I remember the Super Bowl, I, you know, I, I thought he was going to have a really, really good game in the Super Bowl. I mean, it's the Super Bowl. He's playing his former team, and he just didn't have it. Didn't have his fastball. Uh, Bosa had a great game. DeForest Buckner had a great game. D. Ford, uh, I was watching him because I, I had written a big story on him that week and kind of hoping that he would. Uh, boy, it, it just just wasn't happening in that game and really hasn't, hasn't played since, really. Uh, just a, a smattering of snaps in week one last year and the same thing this year. Uh, early in the season, and then the back injury crops up again, and uh, it looks like it's that's it for D. Ford and the 49ers. I agree with David. It doesn't sound as if uh, Kyle Shanahan wants to go down this path, and really, I, I think that's got to be. I know people are saying cornerback, cornerback, and God, it's it's hard to disagree with that as far as uh, what they need to bring in in the off season. But to me, the other D. End. Uh, might even be bigger than that, just because it's such an important position for this team. And, you know, it, it, it's it's clear that they really don't have that guy this year. I think they thought Ebucom would do it. He really hasn't, um, you know, duplicated anything close to what Ford was giving them at, at, at peak height back in 2019. So um, Arden Key's fine as a, as a guy that comes in for a few snaps, plays on the interior, but... Uh, the speed rusher, the NASCAR rusher from the other end, uh, is really got to be a priority. Yeah, and let's let's not forget to emphasize just how much of an impact Ford did have when he was healthy. The 49ers sack rate was four x what it was in t- 2019 when he played versus what it was when he didn't play. Uh, that was kind of the the finishing piece of that defensive line, that speed, that get off the edge that tied everything together to turn that from a decent pass rushing group to an overpowering one. You know, sometimes it's just that one magic ingredient that really makes it sing. And when Ford was healthy and performing well, uh, the the 49ers were absolutely a different unit. So, I mean, you you see why they traded for him, but you can also criticize the – um, you know, the injury guarantee in 2021, which has really set them back financially. If they were somehow able to execute that new contract with him without that injury guarantee, they'd be in much clearer waters right now. But instead, they've had to stick with him. And it, it does highlight the importance of finding that bookend. And, you know, they thought they might be able to find a diamond in the rough with Sansom Ebucom there. But end of the day, D Ford was a very high draft pick and Sansom Ebucom obviously wasn't. So um, you, you could see the difference in talent. And I mean, Dennis, you're former defensive lineman. Um, just when D Ford was at his best, that, you know, c- can you talk a little bit about and help people appreciate the, just the, the tremendous force and the power that that came from from that fast get off because I think it's obviously correlated to his back issues. But uh, you know, whenever he got into that stance and just exploded off the line, 
it's probably a big reason why he's unable to stay healthy now. But it, it was impressive when he was 100%. Yeah, I mean, you know, his, his, his first two steps, you know, sometimes the offensive lineman, the tackle, wasn't even out of his stance yet. And he was already two yards up the football field. So it's hard to duplicate that. And then at the same time, you bring in – you know, Nick Bosa, we didn't know what, what Nick Bosa was about. And then you have the same thing on the other side. And that is that is tough to find in the NFL. And, you know, when he was out there and he was healthy, I mean, you guys remember, I mean, that pass rush, it was, I, I just remember the Green Bay game, you know, that NFC championship game. It was, it, it, it was from, from the first third down, it was over. Anytime the 49ers got in the third and, and five plus, uh, situation it was the pass rush was coming you know and, and they called it the goal rush because that's what it was I mean you know uh, that's when Eric Armstead was 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 playing his hot his best and Nick Bosa was coming on and and D Ford on the other end you didn't know who to block I mean you couldn't double team anybody so everybody was kind of isolated so everyone was playing one-on-one and they were winning so it's hard to duplicate that and I don't know. Do the 49ers, What what do they have? A second round draft pick in the next this next yeah. this next draft? So, you know, we talk about cornerbacks, and what I said, you know, Thomas and Lenore. I mean, both those guys, they got to they got to learn how to play in the NFL. And the only way they can learn how to play is, the, you know, you got to put them into football games and let them take their bumps and bruises and learn. Like I said, but I think with that second round draft pick, you got to go out and you got to find somebody in college that can duplicate that. Somewhat. I mean, someone with just a you know that outside linebacker they can put his 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 hand in the dirt and just come off the ball and give some pass rush and know how to rush out of that out of that nine that wide nine technique and you just got to find someone out there because this this defense is predicated on that pass rush. I mean, you got great linebackers, you know, you got three really really good defensive linemen, but you got a secondary that can be exposed. So that pass rush is important so you got to go out and find i don't know i i don't follow follow college football that much i don't know who's out there but you got to take that second round draft pick and you got to go out there and you got to pick a winner i mean you can't pick a guy that's going to be developed i mean nick bosa is going to be hard to find again but you got to find someone out there that can really rush off that other side to help this defense out i think there are going to be some guys like that in this draft i mean i, I think the second round will be a nice spot to be in for that position we see guys i don't have the names off the top of my head but i remember looking at that position last year uh or the, or this year rather the, the 2021 draft and kind of wondering if the 49ers were going to do something at that position and a lot of those guys are, are having really nice seasons uh, the, the raiders took one late he's, he's leading their team in sacks and um, there are some good examples of that. Um, that that type of rusher that Dennis was describing, the the guy who's probably an outside linebacker, probably stands up a lot in college, um, probably weighs I don't know 245 pounds. I mean, not huge guys anymore uh, at defensive end on the edges, but they do get off the line of scrimmage quickly. So that that type of guy should be available. The 49ers really look closely at 10-yard at splits, uh, you know, how, how fast these guys run their first 10 yards of the 40-yard dash. And uh, there, there have been some pretty impressive numbers in recent years. But as far as cornerback, uh, I, I agree with Dennis. Um, I, I thought it was both um, it gave you pause how Ambry Thomas played, uh, but he, he, got, he got bloodied up a bit. 
Um, and uh, th- that's kind of what you want from Kyle Shanahan's perspective. I mean, you you just uh, hear him, David, pumping these these rookies up right now because he knows they're going to have to tap these guys if they make the playoffs at some point. That that's that's a likely scenario that one of those two players is going to have to play significant snaps in a really big game in January. So uh, if you can get away with uh, Ambry Thomas playing nearly a full game, you know, getting beat a couple of times, but coming out with the win, I, I think that's probably good for the 49ers at this point. Uh, just kind of giving him a crash course, uh, a cram course, cram session, if you will, right before the playoffs start. Uh, and, and like I said, they, they might have to rely on both of those guys pretty significantly when uh, January rolls around. And I don't understand what, what's taking so long. I mean, you know, it's it's late in the season. You know, let these guys take their bumps and bruises early yeah. in the football season. So, you know, when playoff time comes or late in the season, these guys would be kind of ready to roll. I mean, let them take their bumps and bruises. I, I know it's tough to watch as a fan sometimes, but th- th- that's how you get better. That is how you get better. Your reps, your game reps, not your practice reps, not your scout team reps. It's practice. It's it's in the game, getting those rap, those reps, and practicing and working on your uh, on your technique. That's the only way. The only way you're going to learn uh, in the NFL is getting in the game. So I don't I don't understand what's taking so long to get these guys out there. Well, I will say for Ambry Thomas, the concern early in the season was that he wasn't strong enough physically, that he needed to put on some more muscle. And the 49ers seem to be happy with how that's gone over the past couple of months to the point where they they thought, okay, he's ready to be tossed out there in Cincinnati. And I thought it was notable that Kyle Shanahan this week was in his, you know, praise of Ambry Thomas after the game, or, you know, it was a mix of critique and praise. But in his comments, the first thing that he mentioned were the illegal hands to the face penalties. And he said that the 49ers were actually encouraged by those because they came as a result of Thomas fighting at the line of scrimmage with that press coverage, that uh, he just needed to lower his target. And if he lowered the target with his hands, it wouldn't be hands to the face. It would be legal press coverage. But because the biggest concern with Ambry Thomas had been that lack of strength, the 49ers were actually happy that he held his own fighting at the line of scrimmage. And they think that it's just a small technical fix moving forward. Uh, Jimmy Ward also had a couple interesting comments after the game where he likened Ambry Thomas's first start, you know, working against Jamar chase and obviously a really good young receiver jimmy ward likened it to his early action in 2014 when i think he was up against brandon marshall right was that what he said matt i think brandon marshall was yeah was was the example and he said you know this is trial by fire it's good when you have to face a a really good wide out as a rookie it might not be pretty but you'll learn and you'll get on top of your technique and one last thought here is the 49ers did trust ambry thomas more than I thought they would. They didn't play as much cover three zone as I thought they would. They put him out there in cover two, which is, man, a lot. And to Ambry Thomas's credit, I mean, you had the two penalties, and he did get beaten over the top twice. But I, to be honest, I thought it was going to be a whole lot worse. I thought he was going to get beaten over the top more, especially if they'd be in man coverage. And and he played his technique generally well enough to not get ro- – I mean, this was a 20-6 to six game entering the fourth quarter, right? And he doesn't get roasted for that final touchdown by Jamar Chase that the 49ers offense is competent in the fourth quarter and they salt the game away. But they didn't. And Ambry Thomas got exposed. 
and nobody's saying that he had a good performance. But I think the 49ers do think there was some stuff to build on uh, just for the reasons that I just outlined. And that's how you learn. That's how you learn, Dave. It's on tape now. Yep. And, and you hit it on the head with that, with, with, with that press coverage. His hands were too high. I mean, if you watch how Dion used to play, it was pop him in the chest, bring the hands back. Don't let it stay there. Don't let it linger because he's running up the field and it's going to get stuck in the face mask. Pop it, uh, redirect his route and put your, you know, get your hands back down. I mean, that's that's how you learn. And that's how these guys, you got to get these guys on the field. And that's just how you learn in the NFL. You, 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 you get it on tape. You know, veterans talk to you. Coaches talk to you. And then you learn. You go out there and you do it differently the next time. But you got to get back out there. And, and, and continue to do it and work on it. My it, point. It was week 14, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, yeah. How does he not know in week 14 not to hit the guy in the face mask? He um, hasn't been on the field to do it yet. It's still football, though. You still know where the face mask is on the opponent. And that was his thing in college, too. He was a press coverage corner. It's like that year off that he took. Yeah. To, like he forgot the rules or something. <laughs> well, I mean, I think what they liked was sort of the willingness. I mean – the, there, there was a feistiness about him. He had a really nice tackle there. Um, you know, when the, the oh, Bengals on Mixon, set, on yeah, Mixon, yeah, set up a real, they had set up a really good screen, and he was uh, sort of the, the only guy who had a shot of blowing up that play, and he flew in and uh, uprooted him, and and he finished the game with with six tackles. That's a lot for a cornerback. You, you did not see Akella Witherspoon as a as a rookie. <laughs> Uh, coming away with with six tackle games, um, you know he's he's a little bit the the opposite of Witherspoon. Um, you know Witherspoon just had the the perfect body for a cornerback. Uh, he was over two hundred pounds as a rookie, tall, long arms, but didn't play like it. Didn't play with that feistiness, and and I think that's why. I mean Witherspoon was in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse a lot, and um, I was surprised by how rosy. Uh, Shanahan's comments were about Thomas's game, and I think it's because of what we're describing. There, there was a a physicalness to the game that they believe once he you know puts weight, puts strength, as Dennis says, gets experience, all of that is going to come together in a starting cornerback, the, the type of starting cornerback that these guys really like. So. That's that's why you know we saw a lot of mistakes. There are a lot of yards. I think I think the Bengals had a perfect passer rating when targeting him. But the 49ers like those signs. Now to Dennis's point, boy, it would have been nice if he had this game in week two, <laughs> so we wouldn't be worried about it uh, going into the end of the season. But uh, we are where we are, and uh, like I said, it's got to be a crash course these last four weeks. And hey, it could have been worse. We've seen worse. We saw the Brian Allen game against Miami, and you know, yeah, yes, there was a perfect passer rating when Cincinnati targeted Ambry Thomas. But they obviously didn't target him enough to score more than six points over the first three-plus quarters. And Miami did a whole lot worse than the 49ers when they last faced a cornerback crisis uh, back in uh, 2020. That was last season. So you, you have to give Ambry Thomas credit for the throws that didn't go his way because I guarantee you that Joe Burrow wanted to go his way. And uh, there were plenty of snaps where Ambry Thomas made that an impossibility. And you know who else you got to credit? D'Amico Ryans yeah. and the 49ers pass rush. And, and D'Amico Ryans helped the 49ers pass rush. We talked about this already in the last show by bringing blitzes at the right time. And the one that stands out most is overtime. Brings K1 
and in against CJ Uzoma. They, the, the Bengals are doing the same thing that the 49ers were doing. They're keeping their tight end back to pass protect because both of those offensive lines weren't good in pass protection. And so they kept Uzoma back to help with Bosa. D'Amico Ryan saw what they're doing and he brought K1 in, even though he had used that blitz earlier in the game. Brings him in, Uzoma picks him up. Bosa gets a one-on-one on Isaiah Prince. That's a great example of your defensive coordinator shielding uh, your, your 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 defense. I mean, and shielding your secondary right there. He was able to figure out a way to make it work, get Bosa into that one-on-one, and Bosa one-on-one has been unstoppable this season. 14 sacks already. You know, guys, Nick, Nick Bosa is by far the most double-teamed edge rusher in football. That ties into what we were talking about earlier about the 49ers needing another edge to take that pressure off of him. But consider that. Most double-teamed edge rusher in football – post-ACL year, leads the NFL in tackles for loss, and who knows, by the end of next week, he might be leading the NFL in sacks. He's already at 14. I mean, to me, that's mind-blowing, and I I think that needs to be mentioned because I think this guy should be the defensive player of the year and the comeback player of the year. Maybe he doesn't win either, but I I think he should win both. And it just puts more light onto the fact that, you know, he's the most double-team defensive lineman uh, in the NFL, so... There's a lot of guys that are isolated. So what an opportunity for anybody else on that defensive line to really, you know, get after the passer. I mean, I I, to be one on one in the NFL, you got to win, especially on the defensive line. And to know you're going to be one on one because everyone's sliding to one side of the football field um, is is a great is a great advantage. So, you know, whoever comes in the game, you you have to understand that now Nick Bosa is the man. I mean, he is the pass rusher. Everybody's trying to stop. So now you have an opportunity to be one-on-one and get after the passer. Yeah, I'm, I'm with Dennis on this. They give all those postseason awards out to the QBs. QBs get everything. And uh, so I don't know if Nick Bosa is going to win either of those. But uh, I think comeback player of the year for sure. I mean uh, – Well, defensive player of the year, that's not a QB injury. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just a, uh, an amazing comeback to have 14 sacks – uh, I, I think his main competition is, is Dak Prescott with the Cowboys Cowboys quarterback. He's probably going to win it. But, boy, if, if you watch the Washington-Dallas uh, uh, game, he had a bad game. He hasn't, he hasn't had a great season this year. So I'd say that uh, Nick Bosa far and away is having a better season at defensive end than Dak Prescott is at quarterback. Now, do you think that's predicated on how far, you know, if the 49ers are able to go into the playoffs – how far they go in the playoffs and how far the Cowboys go in the playoffs. You think that award is predicated on that? Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like uh, uh, primetime games uh, often sway these things. I mean, as, as bad as that sounds, I mean, if a guy has a great game in primetime, if he shows up on SportsCenter with, with highlights, uh, maybe it would. So uh, I think the Cowboys have a primetime game coming up against the Giants. Um, you know, the 49ers obviously have a big one coming up against Tennessee on the 23rd. So, boy, uh, if you if you show up in the spotlight, I, th- I think that's going to help his cause. And that's the thing. And Bosa seems to be automatic for one sack per game, which is phenomenal to me. And now he's gotten better as he's gotten further from the ACL tear. So it seems like the one sack per game that he's good for is upping to like two. And then he had one taken away by one of the Ambry Thomas penalties. Yeah. So that would have been three. And then for a while, they're giving him half a sack for Ebucom sack. So he he very nearly had 3.5 sacks. 
against Cincinnati and against a good quarterback in Joe Burrow. So, uh, again, the 49ers aren't playing a good offensive line in Atlanta. Tennessee doesn't have a great offensive line either. Houston doesn't have a great offensive line. So the next three weeks, until the 49ers play the Rams, I think Bosa is going to be positioned to just eat and eat and eat. Uh, he could have 20 sacks before we blink. And if he has 20 sacks coming off an ACL and Dak Prescott's still a little shaky, I don't care who's a quarterback and, and who's a defensive end. I mean, I think that's a slam dunk. I, I agree with you guys. I think that, um, you know, there's a bias toward quarterback, so so it might not happen. But I think it'd be a travesty if he didn't get it with a 20-sack season. And let me tell you what, 20 sacks is not that far away considering who the 49ers are playing coming up. Yeah, 20 sacks. That just sounds amazing to me. 20 sacks. And I agree with you. I mean, if anybody walks away with 20 sacks uh, coming off an ACL, that, that definitely deserves – a lot of praise and you know and, and if you watch Nick Bosa I mean he said it once that he he feels like he's a better player and he you know and, and he looks like it you know he's he's you know coming out of college he had the injury and he had a great rookie season he's coming off of you know that ACL tear and he's he's having a fantastic season and he almost makes it look easy and we talk about it all the time his hustle is amazing I mean he doesn't take plays off and a lot of his sacks are just hustle sacks. He's just in the right place at the right time because he's always around the ball, especially if it's a quarterback scrambling around. You will always see a Nick Bosa chasing from behind. So, yeah, 20 sacks. I mean, that would just be amazing, and he would deserve all those awards if he comes out with 20 sacks. Alton Smith had 19 and a half uh, his second year, 2012, uh, playing next to Justin Smith. So, uh, that's a such a high number. I remember uh, trying to get a, a hold of Michael Strahan that year to to talk to him about Alden Smith uh, possibly uh, topping his single season sack record. So we, we may have to we may have to get uh, Strahan's number out of the Rolodex again uh, this year if that happens. You know, I, I think that uh, Bosa has really kind of benefited from the license that the Forty ers have given him to just to kind of pick and choose which side he's going against. Uh, one of the things that does is allows him to avoid those double teams. And the second is he can fit, he can kind of pick who the weakling is on that offensive line. And once he saw his Ohio State teammate, Isaiah Prince, uh, come into the game uh, in, in the second half on Sunday, he was going against Prince exclusively from that point on. And that's where all three of his sacks, uh, including the one that was wiped away, came from. He was rushing from the left side, which is amazing in itself since he's really never been a left side guy. Basically, he has been learning that on the fly this season, but uh, he's such a technician. Um, he's so studious about the whole thing that uh, I think it's come pretty quickly for him over these last. I think that happened uh, basically at the, at the Chicago game this year. Uh, and uh, since since that point, he's been playing mostly left, and uh, most of those sacks have come from the left as well. We need to ask 49ers offensive tackles if there's a head game component involved in that because if you're Isaiah Prince and you, you, you have to know that Nick Bosa can pick where he's going to line up, and then he just keeps on – Lining up on your side, uh, it, I mean, it's yeah, he's his former teammate and he knows how he blocks and everything, but it's still disrespectful, right? And it still can't help <laughs> Isaiah Prince's confidence. Oh God, here he comes again. He's choosing yeah, to line up against me. Yeah, th- yeah. Th- that's like that's like being the kid that doesn't get picked. You know, the last pick on uh, in, on the playground. You know, well, instead Nick Bosa's picking you to line up against, right? 
So uh, it's it's the same kind of mental dynamic. I feel. Um, and, <laughs> well, just think just think about how many times he pass rushed against him in college and just in practice. Yeah. And you know how many times he beat him in practice. And, now and then you look the up, <laughs> and you look up, and you're like, "Oh my goodness, my my college nightmares lined up in front of me, and I'm I'm in the NFL now, and here's my opportunity to you know maybe bid for a starting job." And you look over, and you see the guy that just whooped your butt, you know, for whatever three four years in college, and here he is, and you give up. Did you say he gave he got all his sacks? So he got three sacks. It, officially, officially two. But it was three. He knows it's three, though. Three, yeah. He knows it's three. <laughs> he knows it's three. three. Yep, that, that, that's the thing. It could have been three point five. They gave that one to Ebucon. That was fair. Ebucon, by the way, had his best game as a 49er. I think it was five pressures, and, and that's significant. That, that's a lot of maybe four, but that's still a more than he has been getting, and and b they would take five pressures from here until the end of the season, and they'd be doing a happy dance after every game if that happens. So. We'll see if the 49ers can keep it up against uh, the Atlanta Falcons this week. That's that's definitely something to watch. See if Matt Ryan can can hold it off against the 49ers pass rush. And on the other side of the ball, we, we talk about this every week, so so we didn't really hit it this week, but can the 49ers play ball control? Uh, they It was a little flimsy against Cincinnati. Atlanta has a worse defense, though. That defense hasn't been pressuring the passer. So I think the 49ers have a good matchup there. But uh, they obviously would like to see good Jimmy Garoppolo show up. And good Jimmy Garoppolo has generally been showing up in six of the seven past weeks. There are a couple blips against the Bengals, but he overcame it and he looked good toward the end of the game. So we'll keep an eye out for how he looks. Anyway, we've hit our time limit. So for Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi. We will talk to you after the 49ers play the Falcons this Sunday.